A Cook County Circuit Court judge rejects most of Allstate's motions to dismiss a lawsuit which alleges numerous breaches of Allstate's contracts with agents around the country. What that means is that this suit, which aims to get the company to back off on several controversial moves it's made to further control how agents operate Uh, businesses that are technically independent contractor businesses and not employment arrangements with the company. That suit will continue, and it will continue to be a headache for Allstate. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Marotti about news from the food beat, including oversupply issues as Omicron causes diners to cancel dinner reservations, and a look at a local company that helps grocery shoppers navigate dietary restrictions. When I say dietary restrictions, you may be thinking allergens, which is obviously a big thing. Maybe you have a medical condition like celiacs doesn't allow you to eat certain foods. Um, But they also have religious restrictions on there. Um, They have got your paleo, your keto diets, all that kind of stuff. Also, if you just say dislike onions, you know, you can put a filter on there so it'll remove anything that has onions in it. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, January 18th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Ali Marati here to talk about, well, lots of things in the food world. But first, I want to talk about a company called Sifter, which was started by the founders of Peapod. It sounds like they have some pretty interesting technology to help people out at the grocery store. What's going on there? So the big news here is that Sifter's technology um, is rolling out in Walmart stores. All of them, there's more than 4,000. It's a really big get for this company, Sifter. So how it works is they have a website, and basically, if you have some sort of dietary restriction... And the dietary restrictions they have on there are vast. We'll get to that in a minute. They have this basically feature where you can go in and create a profile for yourself and say, you know, I'm gluten intolerant, I'm low FODMAP, I'm vegan, whatever. You can check your boxes. And then when you're shopping, if you're shopping online, you can just go ahead and put your filter in and then you can click pull up the peanut butters, for example. And it'll only pull up the peanut butters that Walmart sells that fit into your dietary restrictions. If you're in the store, you can actually just pull up your phone and scan an item. If you want to practice or see how it works, you can do it to the food that's in your pantry right now. And it'll tell you if that food has an ingredient on your intolerance list. It's not anything that I've seen before that's out there on the market right now. So you could see why these big retailers like Walmart are kind of chomping at the bits for this. If you have any kind of dietary restriction, I think that, you know, the best that most people can do is a lot of homework and read a lot of labels. But even then, sometimes it's unclear on a label. Well, what exactly is that ingredient or how is it processed? Things like that. I was interviewing somebody once about a year ago that was launching a really health-focused packaged food brand. And I forget the stat, but she was telling me how many hours people with dietary restrictions spend reading those food labels. It's forever, right? And it gets so frustrating sometimes in the store that you're just like, whatever, I'm not going to buy it. I'll just skip any packaged food at all. So I think that there's a really big market for this out there. And what's very fascinating, I thought about Sifter's kind of um, 
you know, operation format is just the vast amount of dietary restrictions they have, right? When I say dietary restrictions, you may be thinking allergens, which is obviously a big thing. Maybe you have a medical condition like celiacs doesn't allow you to eat certain foods, but they also have religious restrictions on there. They have got your paleo, your keto diets, all that kind of stuff. Also, if you just say dislike onions, you know, you can put a filter on there so it'll remove anything that has onions in it. So it's really vast. It's really interesting. They've been building this for about two years, and they started just by putting a bunch of data in from retailers. So they were putting Walmart um, information in there before they launched this partnership with Walmart. They've got Target, uh, Kroger's, which owns Mariano's, a bunch of other stuff that's in there already. So you can kind of use it yourself if you're at those grocery stores. But what this news is, is that Walmart is now paying them for that technology. So basically, when you walk into Walmart, there's a QR code that you can scan, it pulls up Walmart's website and Sifter's technology has been integrated there. So you can just kind of do it right through their website. It's really interesting. It's a really big step for this company, Sifter, because once you get Walmart, it's it's already they told me it's already sparking a lot of interest from other retailers. They just wouldn't tell me who. And I love the idea that that you can even enter likes and dislikes. So you could say, okay, I'm paleo and say, follow a halal diet, but also I really don't like whatever. Onions was the example you used. You know, I don't want onions in any of this stuff. Exactly. This is just me observing the industry, but I feel like consumers have been demanding more and more choice of their food and more and more accountability of the food. And, and as we see more and more people developing, you know, food allergies and, and having medical reasons to eat certain diets, I think this is really fascinating. I spoke with the co-founder, uh, Thomas Parkinson, who started Sifter with his brother, Andrew. And like Amy mentioned, they're the founders of Peapod, which was really a pioneer in online grocery delivery that launched in the late 80s. And Tragically, I think about Peapod a lot, actually, because they went out of business in the Midwest right before the pandemic hit, right before all the online food ordering craze really, truly took off. Um, so I do think about them a lot. And I was asking him if, if he feels that same way. He, the founder, had left Peapod you know, earlier in 2019. So he wasn't there when it happened. He said he was on a kite surfing trip when he got the news and that it was a big bummer. But, you know, the, the two of them, they started this company and uh, Thomas was walking me through kind of his family shopping. And in his profile, he has his dietary restrictions, his wife's and both of his kids, and they all have something different. You know, one of them is celiac. One of them doesn't like onions. That's where I got that example, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. His daughter um, has Lyme disease, you know. So it's interesting because he could layer all of that onto his shopping cart. So it's not just for one person. You know, if you're doing your shopping for the household, that's all there. And then he showed me too where if you have two things going, like maybe you have gluten intolerance and something else, right? If you scan something and it has an item in it that violates one of your parameters, but not the other one, it will kind of pull up this like yellow check that's like, okay, you know, you can get it, but it does have a little bit of gluten in it you know, or if it's a low carb, right, you can get it, it's not going to violate this parameter, but it does have some carbs in it, that sort of thing. So it's not like a hit or miss, very black or white, right, which I feel like sometimes when you're trying to use technology to help decide what to eat, it's a little bit black and white. So I found that sort of interesting, too. And, you know, to your point, I looked up some data that that Nielsen IQ put out and products that support specialty diets topped $53 billion in sales last year, and that was up 15% from 2019. So as you can see, the retailers themselves would be interested in this. 
Another thing that Sifter is doing, uh, sort of their next step besides adding more retailers, is that they want to bring in an advertising component to this. So basically letting consumer packaged goods companies like Kraft Heinz or Procter & Gamble pay to advertise and sponsor products. So basically, for example, if a user denoted that they had a nut allergy in their profile, a company could pay to have their nut-free product pop up first in a search. So you'd have maybe the featured products first and then the rest of your list. That's really interesting. Right. And with these tech companies, you know, a lot of times it's free to the end user. And this is the case here, right? It's free to the shopper. So we always want to ask, okay, well, then how are you making money? There's a fee that the retailers have to pay per store annually. But then, you know, the co-founder was telling me that this advertising stream, once it gets going, it's going to be a pretty big moneymaker for them. Well, I'm sure we'll see Sifter popping up more and more. All right. Well, let's go to restaurants now. You recently wrote about how in this COVID surge, as people are canceling reservations that they had, Chicago suddenly has a backlog of meat piling up in refrigerators. That's not really a problem I would have thought of, but yet here's another issue that we're having due to the pandemic and supply chain stuff. How much meat are we talking about? So it varies depending on you know the restaurant. And you're right, this is not one I was expecting to get either. The way I found this story, I think is sort of worth talking about. Um, Reuters had a story that was noting that Omicron was shutting down meat plants because workers were getting sick. And basically what was going to happen was that their slaughtering capacity was going to go down, which then down the line would, I initially assumed, hurt the supply to restaurants. Restaurants might be worried because they didn't have enough meat. Maybe we would see prices go up even farther on meat, which just as a refresher, they've been up basically since the pandemic started. So I started calling around to restaurants saying, like, are you worried? And they were like, no, we're not worried because nobody's coming out to eat right now because of Omicron. Everybody's just sort of hunkering down. You know, I'm sure everyone's seen headlines kind of pontificating about whether we've reached the peak of the Omicron surge or not. So I think a lot of people are just trying to stay home for a few weeks. Restaurants are really feeling that. It started right before Christmas which oftentimes is the busiest time for restaurants hosting holiday parties, caterers, etc. So first and foremost, I called a company called Northwest Meat. And they're a meat supplier that uh, gives meat to a lot of the steakhouses you know, such as Gibson's, Gene and Giorgetti. They do Lonesome Rose, just a lot of pizza places and taverns throughout town. So I thought that they would have a good finger on the pulse. And he was the one that told me that he had about 1,500 pounds of excess meat cuts sitting in his freezer. And he had ordered a whole bunch in mid-December to kind of get him through this holiday push. But then all the cancellations started rolling in. Now, fortunately, a lot of it is frozen. So he can hold on to it, right? And and sell it. It doesn't go to waste. He said he normally doesn't waste anything. Because he said that amounts to about $22,000 worth of meat on top of what he would normally have in there. So that's one kind of example. The big downside for him, you know, is just sales dropping off, right? Like things were going really well. You know, restaurants obviously struggled mightily throughout the pandemic. It's just been an ongoing theme for the past two years is sort of like, what's the next big challenge that's going to hit these restaurants? So right now it's the excess meat. Yeah. Again, I, I really didn't see that one coming. And that's an interesting, it's a very interesting story though, of how you even got to the story. Again, I was kind of taken aback at first. There was another restaurant I spoke with, El Che. It's an Argentinian steakhouse over in the West Loop. And, you know, he was telling me that obviously Argentinian steakhouse very built around the meat menu, you know. And uh, he basically had launched a little retail outfit early on in the pandemic. A lot of restaurants did this, you know, where basically they had a bunch of unused ingredients because people weren't coming in. So they were selling them 
from the host stand or wherever online, you know, however they chose to do it. So he was able to sell, but he had to shut down the last two weeks of the year because staffers tested positive, which again, we saw a bunch of at the end of December, right? So what he was able to do was sell some of the meat through kind of his little retail operation at the front of house. But he did have to throw a lot of meat away because he said there's a certain cut that has its bone in and some of it's exposed. So it goes bad quicker. He said he lost all of that. And um, he couldn't give me an exact estimate, but he said that being closed those last two weeks of December and the loss that happened there probably cost the restaurant about $140,000. That's high, right? Especially for a restaurant like that. It is an independent restaurant. The guy that I was talking to was the owner and the chef. Those restaurants get hit really hard in these types of situations. And there, a lot of them are just struggling right now in January, um, hoping that things will pick up again. January is typically a pretty slow month for restaurants. I think a lot of them are worried. And, you know, we should mention too, that a lot of them have shut down for, you know, a couple months in January, maybe the entire month. There's one restaurant, Rye Deli and Drink, which is just two blocks south of Elche, and they have chosen to close for um, the entire season. That was something that shocked me seeing that early this year, just because it was a a pretty big theme last year. And I wouldn't think that restaurants would want to do that again. But when you come down to weighing the cost of what it you know, takes to operate and what you save being closed, it may be a no-brainer for some of them, even though it's somewhat of an unfortunate no-brainer. Well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to talk about, uh, you know, on this topic just in the next couple of months as we see hard decisions made by made by restaurants and hopefully no more curveballs thrown by the pandemic or, or supply chains. But then again, we've been saying that for almost two years. So yeah, absolutely. It's one thing after the other. At this point, all the restaurants seem to be used to it. I know. They, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they're at least ready for the curveballs. I feel like the restaurants have gotten so good at pivoting. Who I, I can't imagine any other direction they could have to pivot, but I don't even want to say that out loud, really. So Yeah, knock on wood. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much, Allie. Appreciate you taking the time to talk today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming up, startup funding soars to a $7 billion record in 2021. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Audio Studio is proud to introduce the podcast series Four Star Stories. It debuts with Bronzeville, reported in three chapters by Dennis Rodkin. Once known as the Black Metropolis, Bronzeville is being reshaped by a construction boom that is revitalizing thousands of vacant lots. Home prices have soared to levels that buyers and sellers, even less than a decade ago, could never have imagined. Can this be done in a new way without forcing out longtime residents? And can it be done with respect for what's been there, including a deep reservoir of Black community and achievement? To create a new Bronzeville that welcomes others, but that is still very clearly the heart of this unique Midwestern Black experience. The Bronzeville series from Crane's Audio Studio is part of Four Star Stories, Crane's ongoing effort to uncover Chicago's past, present, and future through the voices of the people who live and work here. Search Four Star Stories wherever you listen to podcasts to hear the full trailer and to subscribe. Chapter One debuts January 24th. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth.
A Cook County Circuit Court judge rejected all but a few of all states' motions to dismiss a lawsuit alleging numerous breaches of the company's contract with agents around the country. And the decision is a significant victory for the National Association of Professional All-State Agents, which sued the company last year on behalf of agents across the country for what it says violates the contracts under which agents are enlisted to sell All-State policies. Crane's Steve Daniels is reporting the story in detail and has more. The suit, which aims to get the company to back off on several controversial moves it's made to further control how agents operate uh, businesses that are technically independent contractor businesses and not employment arrangements with the company, that suit will continue and it will continue to be a headache for all state. Agents, uh, thousands of them around the country, still generate most of the revenue for all state even though CEO Tom Wilson has striven in recent times to diversify beyond the agents to sell more of all states' auto and home insurance policies over the internet, as well as to sell more insurance through independent agents around the country. He, after years in which Allstate has lost market share to faster growing rivals like Geico and Progressive, wants to get Allstate back on the growth path, and he sees these other avenues as the way to do that, but he still is depending on Allstate's army of agents to continue to do what they've been doing for decades, and that is to sell more policies and to service the policies of Allstate's thousands of customers around the country. This lawsuit will make all of that more difficult and will continue after this judge's decision. Lanzajet, a Deerfield-based startup in the alternative fuel game, got a $50 million investment from Microsoft's Climate Innovation Fund. Crane's John Pletz reports that the funding will help Lanzajet build out its first plant to produce sustainable jet fuel. The company is a spinoff from Skokie-based Lanzatech, which developed a way to use bacteria to turn carbon monoxide gases like industrial pollution into ethanol. Lanzajet then combines the ethanol with traditional kerosene to provide airlines with an alternative fuel that has the same performance as traditional jet fuel, but about 70% less carbon emissions. The company's biofuels plant, based in Georgia, is expected to start production next year and will reportedly have capacity to produce about 10 million gallons of jet and diesel fuel each year. Vivid Seats is moving its HQ to the Marshall Field Building on State, a win for the Canadian developer that transformed the upper floors of the building into modern office space. Fresh from its October IPO, the Chicago-based online ticket marketplace signed an 11-year lease for nearly 48,000 square feet on the ninth floor of the building on East Washington. That according to a regulatory filing. The company said in the filing they're scheduled to move into the new space in early 2023 from 111 North Canal, where it recently exercised an option to end its lease in November of 2022. Crane's Danny Ecker has the story. There are a couple market trends reflected in this deal. One is that the leases we're seeing get done are at the buildings that are the newest or most recently renovated. Um, the idea is that companies are saying we need to have offices that make people want to be here instead of working from home. Then there's the reduction in space. Back in 2019, Vivid Seats was in the market for more than 100,000 square feet in the building. Uh, it was apparently looking at some acquisitions at the time, but it also had a lot more space downtown than it does now. So what we have here is another example 
of a company recognizing that they need an office, but they don't need as much space with the rise of the new hybrid model of some in-person, some remote work getting done. So this deal is good news for downtown office landlords, but also reinforces the reality that they don't like, which is that office demand may be watered down from pre-pandemic times. As startup investment across the country grew last year, local companies raised a record amount of venture capital. That according to new data from PitchBook and the National Venture Capital Association. The data shows that Chicago-area startup funding grew to $7 billion last year across 374 deals. And that's up from about $3 billion across 321 deals in 2020. According to PitchBook, the largest local deal of 2021 was Village MD's $1 billion investment from Walgreens. Other large deals include a $350 million round for Nature's Find, Project 44's $202 million round, and ShipBob's $200 million. Nationally, startups raised $330 billion in 2021, which was up 98% from the previous record of $166.6 billion. PitchBook data also shows 22 Chicago-based VC firms collectively raised $5.6 billion for new funds in 2021, which is only behind Silicon Valley, New York, and Boston. And the number of active Chicago venture capital firms has also grown to 89, up from 77 in 2020 and just 15 in 2010. And Chicago fundraising is already off to a strong start in 2022, with three financing deals closing over $100 million from Foxtrot, Project 44, and Zero Hash. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your on-demand audio. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.